Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Jermaine Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager and Malaysia Lead. Like most Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia has strict anti-drug laws that are often punishable by death. On this episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to two filmmakers, Lojo Yi and Hidayah Hisham, about their upcoming documentary, which follows Siti and her 60-year-old father. Siti's father, popularly known as Dr. G, faces the death penalty for using medical cannabis to treat his chronic illnesses. Before we get started, we would like to clarify that this episode does not advocate for or against the use of medical marijuana. We strongly advise listeners to adhere to laws in their country and to defer to a medical professional's opinion when it comes to treatment. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just $52 US a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now here's the interview. Um, why don't you both introduce yourselves? My name is Daya Hisham. I'm the director for Ayaku and I am a video producer at BFM. Uh, hi, my name is Joey. I am the producer for Ayaku Dr. G, and I'm currently a video producer as well. Thanks, Joey and Hidaya, for joining me today. Um, so yeah, I think so. Your documentary is called Ayaku Dr. G, which translates to My Father, Dr. G. And for non-Malaysian listeners, the G stands for ganja, which is the Malay word for marijuana. So could you tell me who is Dr. G? Dr. G is Amiruddin Abdullah. He is this retired uh, captain of armed forces. After retiring from the military forces, he got sick, diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. And he went to hospital medication for like three years until one day he... Uh, he uh, he went to the doctors and then the doctors detected this spinal tumor. So from then on, the doctor said, you know, just prepare for a comfortable life because it's not going to look great soon. So from then on, he, he was trying to look for alternative medication. Um, and then he was on Facebook one day and then he saw that there was this um, CBD oil uh, going around on the Facebook pages. So from then on, he did research. He... He started contacting the sellers and he started medicating himself with uh, CBD oil. Um, and then later on, he realized like, oh, this works for me and this could possibly work for other patients who are probably going through a, a tough time like me. So what he did was it, it was a it was a very community effort. Uh, anyone in the Kampung Kilang where he lived in, he would just like tell them like, oh, you should try uh, hemp seeds or you should try these herbs. You know, he was a very... He was a very like self-educated person. He did his own research and everything. And he, yeah, he just proceeded to help people who were just like him, uh, sick, couldn't afford hospital medication for long, and tried to give them a fighting chance uh, by trying to educate them about how they can self-medicate themselves with, alter- with alternative medication. Yeah. And then he was arrested uh, in 2017 and has been in Sungai Buloh for four years now. Um, so he was arrested in 2017, and he is now facing the death penalty. Is that correct? Yeah, he is charged with 39B, which uh, is a mandatory death penalty. So, if found guilty, um, he faces the mandatory death penalty. But there's, there's, tri- they're trying to like kind of fight it in the sense that it, he's using it for medication. 
But the problem with that is that there's not enough research, local research in Malaysia to support the benefits of marijuana as uh, medical use. So it's, he, yeah, straight up, he just faces the mandatory death penalty and it's a grim fight. Uh, it's it's going to be an uphill legal battle. So since 1952, cannabis was classified as a dangerous drug, uh, in Dangerous Drug Act. It started with poppy and then heroin along with cocaine. So cannabis is classified as a dangerous drug and anyone caught with the trafficking of cannabis faces the mandatory death penalty. And that means that anyone with anyone with the possession of 200 grams and above of cannabis is considered with the purpose of selling that. So if you have 200 grams of cannabis, you are a trafficker. Yes. So tell us about what your journey with this film has been like. What drew you to this particular story? I came across the story in 2017 when it first broke out in the news. I've been trying to follow the story since, uh, but as of 2018 onwards, I think there were less and less reports about the case. Uh, we started to, I started to wonder like what happened to Dr. G and uh, what's happening with his case. And there were no leads up till uh, early this year actually when I chanced upon a uh, page that was set up by uh, Dr. G's daughter's uh, ex-lawyer, which was uh, crowdfunding for uh, funds f- to support the legal fees involved for, his, uh, for her father. But uh, I managed to basically get in touch with the daughter from that uh, page. And from there, we started building a, a connection. I contacted her on Facebook. And ever since then, uh, we've been in touch. But what really drew me to the story essentially is, I guess, how, how fearless he looked in the face of adversity. Uh, I always joked with uh, my team that he looked like an Asian Clint Eastwood <laughs> in a lot of ways in his photos. Um, but the fact that he is from such a remarkable background, uh, a, a armed officer, a captain even, uh, to now treating himself with cannabis. It's, it's such a remarkable story uh, and it's such a feat uh, in itself. So I think that drew me to his story. And after that, uh, you know, getting to know my partner Hidayah and her personal connection to the story, I think it just gelled everything up. And I, I guess the winning, the winning the grant was the opportunity that we needed to manifest this story into a reality. So what is your personal connection to the story, Hidayah? So when I was nine, my dad was also, he was charged with 39D. Um, I didn't see him for like three whole years because he was like facing uh, all these legal battles. He was in Sunai Bulo for a while, <clears throat> the same place where Amiruddin is like held right now. Um, so in those three years, like I didn't see him, I didn't hear any news from him. Um, my mom was the one who was like sorting all the legal battles. Um, I don't particularly remember that portion of my life because it was like it was it was this one bleep in my like my childhood and then like when I came across uh, when Joey told me the story about Amiruddin I was like oh that's like he's a dad and the daughter's fighting for him you know and that was that struck me and I was like oh there's something there that I'm familiar with I know the feeling I know what it's like to I, I think I would say that I know what it feels like to mourn for a family member who is not exactly like dead but just taken away from you for a long time yeah, so that's one of the reasons why I was really attracted to help Joey to make this film. Yeah, wow, that's that's yeah, that's that's a that's a really amazing parallel to have as a filmmaker. Um, the anchor of the film is Dr. G, but the story is told from his daughter's perspective. Siti is his daughter. 
How did you, so Joy, you, you said that you got in touch with her through a Facebook page that was crowdfunding legal um, fees for him. So that's how you got in touch with her? Uh, the crowdfunding page, I believe it was on change uh, before this. Uh, and then after that, I managed to sort of, I did a bit of research. I tried to get in touch with her via email and then, uh, eventually I stumbled upon her Facebook page and that's where I tried to contact her. I said like, uh, uh, I tried to reach out to you through the crowdfunding page. Uh, please uh, let me know if you got my message. Uh, but yeah, it took a few months, maybe like a couple of months, I would say, before she actually responded back. Uh, and from there, the connection just built from there. I managed to get her number and we WhatsApped. And then uh, upon winning the grant, uh, we were able to finally just go and meet her uh, in person for the first time. And from that moment onwards, uh, I think our relationship as a team and with her as well has grown. But it all started with Hidayah, me and her, basically, uh, sometime in July, right after we got the grant and we were able to go and see her and tell her that, that there's an opportunity to actually turn this into an actual film. And, and what was that process of getting her to participate in your film like? So, you know, you, you message her on Facebook and then eventually you get to uh, talking over WhatsApp. Um, was it difficult to convince her to participate in the film? I think uh, throughout the whole process, it's, um, we, we have spent the whole film process trying to also build that connection with her. It's not, it wasn't just in the beginning itself um, because it's all about trust, I guess, with documentaries. You would need to build that trust with your subject so that they are able to let you into their world. So yeah, it was a bit difficult, uh, I would say, or maybe challenging in the beginning when we both weren't familiar with each other, like uh, the subject with the filmmakers and vice versa. Uh, but I guess up till now, we've known her for about, yeah, almost a year now. I would say that the connection is stronger and she would trust us more and she would let us more into her life. And uh, we are also, you know, thankful that she opens up to us. But it definitely was one of the challenges that we are still currently, I, I guess, facing as well. Hence why uh, her face is um, sort of uh, mosaic or censored in the film uh, because we are also still working through not... Uh, not challenges due to trust, but it's also like with her safety and everything. Uh, we call it a risk assessment <laughs> uh, when it comes to this process. Um, I, I guess what I can say is still a work in progress, la, the building that trust with her. I think, Daya, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, no, um, I just wanted to add to that. Like um, The process of building trust through your subjects is not an easy one. Um, you're putting their whole life in front of your camera. So there was a lot of... Um, we're first-time filmmakers, right? So um, a lot of people have the assumption of just jumping right in into reality and like take like filming them as much as we can. But I think we were very careful about that because uh, it's not easy to let anyone into your life. And we we met her at one of her most difficult times in life, you know. So um, the building that trust was it was organic. It took patience. It took many visits to. Um, to where she is, she's in Nguyen Milan. So we, it, to me, like uh, knowing her story, it was important for me to treat her how I would have been wanting to treat us if someone came to me with a story. But uh, we, we forged this friendship, and that was the foundation of uh, of this film. Um, our shared experiences together, and that was that was a very delicate balancing. 
to have. And I think, yeah, one of the challenges was convincing her to show her um, appearance on film. But we later realized that um, her voiceovers with like are very strong and it's very personal and close. And I, you know, to compensate for you know uh, for this faceless hero who's trying to like fight for her father, you hear all of her close thoughts in the film. And I think that's been one of the most like rewarding experiences just to have that interview with her and have her recount all of these like traumatic experiences. And yeah, I think I probably went a bit off topic there, but <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, yeah, I, I actually, I was going to ask as, you know, as first time filmmakers, what that was like for you to try and, and build rapport with your, um, your main character and, and also if it was tricky and it sounds like, yeah, it, it wasn't always clear maybe how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not exactly, there, there are boundaries you need to respect, but, um, but that's, I mean, like, like I said earlier, like the friendship is really the foundation of it, like how comfortable they are with you. And the moment you pull out a camera, they might react differently. They might do things differently, but with her, we built that, relationship from uh, Joey built that relationship from like the beginning of this year and then when we visited her you know we took time to know her family we took time to know what her daily life was like so that we could like we could adapt ourselves into what she was going through so it was really just like respecting this boundary that she set we, we couldn't ask for much but what we did was we just made sure that she was as comfortable as she was uh and but the i mean for me i don't think the camera is uh, like filming the scenes was like was not really the highlight but the highlight was like sitting down with her and like asking these questions because you're literally like putting her through uh, you're literally triggering all of these past memories she's had that she's kind of like i've never thought about that you know and like it was a really intimate moment to have with her and I think that set the tone for like for the rest of the film when we were doing shoots and, and we were following her because a lot of these shoots was following her to go to court, to go to Sunai Bulo to visit her dad um, and she by the time we wrapped up she was just she was just just super comfortable with us and she was we've already had this like unspoken kind of like like telepathy in a sense like I'm not I don't want to do this got it you know like oh you can do this yeah so I think that's that that's what it is sometimes like relationships with your subjects takes two years three years we only had prior to the beginning of the shoot uh after we won the grand we only had three months to really like get her ready for um all the action shoots you know following her so uh, we do see this this relationship would not stop here. I don't think so. It, I mean, the relationship you have with your subject goes beyond the film, you know. Um, and they're not just subjects; they're they're actual people with stories. And we're just glad that she let she let us become part of that. Yeah, and this is, you know, quite a taboo topic in a way because Malaysia has a very um, harsh has very harsh drug laws, right? But yet there are Malaysians who advocate legalizing marijuana or medical cannabis. So on Facebook, for example, 
there are groups such as Malaysian Medical Marijuana and Gerakan Edukasi Ganja Malaysia, which means Movement for Marijuana Education Malaysia, that have over 22,000 followers, respectively, with the goal of educating people about medical marijuana. And at a youth parliament sitting in 2016, um, a representative from the state of Selangor at the time said that youth suggested regulating the use of marijuana instead of fully criminalizing it. So based on your research that you've done over the course of this film and the people you've spoken to, what do you think is the general public opinion on marijuana here in Malaysia? Uh, well, I think we started our uh, social media pages just a few days ago uh, and the uh, support seems really positive. We've been doing um, significant research over the past few months as well and the feedback for it seems quite positive to be honest. I think most people are aware that there is a need for alternative uh, medication and and just the general feedback that we've seen uh, from posting in some of these Facebook pages and on our social media pages as well so far. It's been really warm, la, so it's good. It's looking good. Yeah. Um, if I can add to that, um, yeah, while the response to the film and like uh, to the conversation of like cannabis as medical use has been uh, quite positive, there's still like um, this polarizing debate about like people still consider uh, cannabis as a dangerous drug. Um, that's actually the trickiest uh, part of trickiest part that the film is trying to like tackle, in the sense that. You know, um, for years, um, Malaysians have always associated people who smoke, uh, people who do drugs as criminals. There's still this stigma towards the use of cannabis, still in our laws, right? Um, just to be, just to have 200 grams of cannabis, you're, pun you're given the mandatory death penalty. Um, so I think that's what we want to work towards, I guess, like trying to destigmatize the use of cannabis. Yeah, and... In the previous government, we see that there were like talks about wanting to decriminalize, uh, especially like in 39B, they want to decriminalize people who are charged under this section. So, I mean, with the change of government, things, uh, I guess, took a pause. But even from the previous government and seeing how people were eager to talk about it and to decrim uh, marijuana usage is a good sign and hopefully we can bring that back on track. Yeah, so there is some movement towards that conversation of decriminalizing. In 2018, the death penalty was handed down to a 29-year-old man who was distributing uh, cannabis oil for medical purposes, which did lead the government at the time, this is the Pakatan Harapan government, to initiate a discussion on legalizing marijuana. But there hasn't really been much progress since. So, you know, the, the controversy surrounding medical marijuana globally, is, it's not just a medical debate, it's also political. Like most Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia has extremely strict anti-drug laws that are often punishable by death. How do you think platforms like films and documentaries can help initiate discussions about this once again? So, you, you know, Joey, you, you mentioned like there's been a pause, right, since this new government has taken over. So how do you think like films like your own can maybe push the discussion? Uh, one of the things that we believe this documentary is able to do that maybe some other media uh, could not, I guess, deliver as, as much is, is the fact that film itself, it's a audio-visual media. Essentially, I guess, with what we are making, we're hoping that we can pull the audiences and sort of place them in the shoes of City herself, uh, even, to really feel 
how it's like being um, a loved one, a member of a, a family of a loved one who is in such a situation, being persecuted under these harsh drug laws. So I guess we believe that film uh, is powerful in the sense that it allows people to really delve into the world of you know, other people. And you know, for us, it's the character of Siti uh, with Ayaku Dr. G. So with this immersive experience, we hope that we can also convey all the nuances that you know, the character would feel. For example, you know, if she's not always positive or she's not always um, worried, she, she is a human being like uh, any one of us. And hopefully we don't have to explain it uh, through like uh, by being on the nose, but with film it could be a lot more subtler and you can feel all these range of emotions by just watching it. We have this perception towards people who, whose family members have been convicted or uh, been accused of like uh, drug crimes. Um, so what we're hoping our film could do is to humanize those stories. Like these are not criminals. These are everyday people who work in, you know, your, your pasamalam, who work in banks, who works in schools. They, they, have, they have all these feelings and all these traumatic experiences um, because of how uh, cannabis is seen in our society, right? So what we're trying to do is to show that there, just this side of the story, uh, this suffering, and it's all caused by these archaic drug laws. Yeah, and you mentioned, yeah, it's, it's definitely there's a stigma and people are viewed as criminals, not just the people who are charged, but their family members. Do you think that your film is providing a safe space for Malaysians to talk about this issue in general? Yeah, that's what we're hoping to do, you know. We're just like, we just want, um, we just want, fam- you know, family members of the convicted to just like talk among themselves, like, oh, I've, like, I've been through this, you know, like, oh, this is actually pretty common because it, like, one in three people you probably know or have, like, a family member or a friend who's in Sungai Buloh for, for, uh, for drug crimes, right? Possibly, yeah. And it's more common than you think, and it's happening, and this conversation gets discarded because we're focusing on bigger things that are happening right now. Um, and we're trying to bring these these experiences to light. It's, it's basically that, just like reminding themselves that this can happen to your family members. And the safe space is that we just want people to acknowledge that these things are more common than you think. And the safe space to talk about marijuana as like a medical use is just that uh, to make them realize that sick people use it and it's okay to have this conversation. It's okay to to talk about it because it it's not a taboo. It's it's just like a it's just like the secret that nobody wants to because they associate it as something dirty and unlawful. But it's okay because it's like this is happening to everyone. Uh, in addition to the film, I guess we are also hoping to normalize this topic uh, about marijuana usage uh, through our social media pages. So we're hoping that after the film, uh, we are also going to be working with uh, or collaborating with a few NGOs or experts as well so that we can share more information about cannabis and medical marijuana uh, with the general public so that they can be informed and uh, they can educate themselves as well about the facts, the uh, the outer and the factors about this topic, um, and become informed uh, users themselves, lah. 
And what are the NGOs who are working on this issue? So for now, we have, uh, for example, uh, Amnesty Malaysia. They are uh, one of the most vocal groups that are talking about um, this. But we are also working with a grassroots NGO called MASA. Uh, MASA stands for uh, Malaysia Society of Awareness. So it's one of the ones where uh, Tengku Shanela Jamida is also a part of. And they are talking about medical marijuana. We haven't actually started about uh, our collaborations as per, uh, completely yet. We're still in talks of, about it. But we're hoping to just sort of work with these um, NGOs such as MASA, uh, Amnesty. Uh, we are also hoping to get in touch with um, the legal side of things with uh, Swaram and Hakam as well. Uh, of course, Freedom Film Network, they are also helping us to get in touch with all these relevant parties that could uh, be helpful for our campaign. Yeah, we're still sort of researching and looking for more collaborators like that could sort of bring uh, this impact campaign to another level. And with MASA that you mentioned, so you mentioned um, Tengku Shamila, I think, to, who is part of that group or uh, uh, an advocate. Um, she's a member of the royal of a royal family, correct? Yes. I think that for, for those outside of Malaysia, having a member of a royal family um, advocating for a cause is, is quite significant, right? Um, and do you think having more high-profile people as part of this discussion will kind of maybe help to um, lessen the stigma of talking about this issue? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially like uh, with a profile like Tengku Shanela, I, I think her, I admire her efforts in trying to advocate for uh, marijuana usage and cannabis usage. I guess I hope that more and more uh, people, I guess with her uh, following, uh, would also come up and sort of share the experiences. I think it normalizes the experience a lot more for everyone who is sort of trying to use uh, cannabis for medical purposes or even recreational purposes. I, uh, We really do believe that there is benefits to it that needs to be proven with more research and I, I believe research is really on the way and you can see from our neighbours like Thailand they're really doing well uh, with uh, medical marijuana and yeah I'm just hoping more and more people like Tengku Shanela will speak out but uh, yeah she's definitely a, a great ally of ours as well she contacted us through Telegram when we were looking for uh, collaborators and she was so uh, forthcoming she was telling like you know if she can help us with the screening of our film in the US as well and try, she was trying to use her network to sort of help us with our project as well. So yeah, definitely I hope that more people like Tengkushanela will come up and sort of show their advocacy through whatever means that they could sort of reach. But yeah, Tengkushanela has been doing a great job at what she is trying to advocate for. Lah. If I could add to that, I think figures like Tengku Janela, who has like a large audience on social media, large following on social media, um, they they can help educate and show that, hey, not everyone who uses marijuana are, are criminals, right? Because these are everyday people. And to show that to a large public on social media, it helps our cause because it destigmatizes the use of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it sounds like you've both learned a lot in the, in the process of making this film. And is there anything that you learned that was surprising maybe to you? Or, um, you know, what have you learned working so closely with a family member like Sidi? I think there are like a lot of 
realizations about just the users and the uses of like marijuana within Malaysia. Um, Dr. G is considered as like, a respected figure. Uh, a lot of people think he, um, his, him being in Sungai Buloh is like a huge sacrifice to like to the cause. The main takeaway for me is that the road to legalizing or to decriminalizing marijuana is really difficult because it's going to take a lot of like, it's going to require a large public support. And we don't have that yet because we don't have that education. And a lot of people are still unaware. And a lot of people are, are still do view uh, marijuana as a dangerous drug. So, you know, we can look at Thailand and say that, that, oh, if Thailand can do it, why can't we do it? But it's not the case because, like, Southeast Asia's uh, relationship with drugs hasn't always been great. It requires research. It requires education from, from the government, which we don't have. You know, we, we only have these assumptions about it because we've been told that it's dangerous. So, um, Musiti, I think for me, it was just that she was... She, she's just like another victim, you know, caught in this debate. She's just pulled like, you know, like the, there's people saying that what your dad did was terrible. And then there's people saying what your dad did is amazing. You know, so it's we're we're going to be trapped in this debate for a while. And the only thing that can come along to change it is if we open this discussion, right, um, to talk more about it, to just normalize it then it wouldn't be this difficult and it, people like Siti wouldn't have to pay the price of trying to prove her father's innocence because it's that, right? Um, but personally, I think seeing Siti like, endure all of these challenges has been really inspiring. Um, yeah, personally, it just taught me that you, know, you, you can have a lot of things thrown at you and you just have to pick yourself up and like keep going, not for yourself for your family member um because you know they're you know they're you know they don't deserve this this you you know that they they it's just this this punishment isn't the right way to go about things and yeah if anything it's for me seeing her go through it um is has been like a cathartic process for me uh yeah as for me i think it was an experience of itself producing uh, this first ever documentary, I guess, even though it's a short documentary, I didn't realize it would take it would take such a long process to even just form that connection with our subject. But one thing I really learned is that it really is in the small details when it comes to documentary filmmaking, um, paying attention to uh, how she reacts, uh, our subject reacts, paying attention to you know how we communicate even with uh, family members or people involved in this project. It's all a very delicate sort of process that we are still trying to learn uh, as young filmmakers ourselves. But it has taught us a lot about patience and being, you know, uh, attentive to the smaller details that we usually sort of over, uh, we overlook in like uh, bigger production processes. So yeah, documentary filmmaking is a great way to really teach you how to be a good human, or not even a good human, teaching you how to be human, really. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, did you face any obstacles in the filmmaking process? I think one of the obstacles, if I can speak for the team, I think it's like um, getting the facts right. That's been 
that's been a full-time effort in the sense that we um, we are in contact with the with Amiruddin's defense lawyer, uh, Ramkapa Singh, and it's just like negotiating and navigating this new land of like, you know, legal the legal landscape of things and like legalese, like legal language. It was like really strange just having to like, all right. But even finding out about 39B and having to do the research and how it affects, like, uh, how it affects Amiruddin it was 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 quite challenging because it was definitely out of our comfort zones. Um, if you didn't study it, it it requires a lot of reading and requires a lot of like talking to lawyers. I think that's been the challenge for me. How about you, Joey? Agreed. Um, the information that we sort of need and to, to support our film and the campaign, it's, it's so fractional. It, it, it's, like, it's very fragmented, the, the scene of um, support and groups of advocates here. So compiling information, um, fact-checking things, we have to make sure that we are able to verify it with uh, the respective experts. Uh, it, it, it is quite... It's quite difficult, but that's why we are hoping to also find these collaborators so that we can share these information that we uh, are able to collect and also fact check amongst each other so that we are able to then share uh, factually correct information through the film and also through the campaign later on. And there weren't even enough resources to actually like refer like, oh, how does how would this affect the case? Like what well, like, what are the the unique situations of Amiruddin and how is it like separate from other 39B cases. There wasn't a lot of that information. Um, so that required a lot of like reaching out to uh, uh, to these groups. And I feel like we still don't have the whole picture of things. And But we're, we're slowly building up to that. Yeah. It's, it's like some of these information, we are only able to uh, get access to them when we are speaking to uh, people from these... Um, uh, these organizations, these stakeholders, or these, uh, how say, uh, gatekeepers of these information. So, you know, even though there aren't, like, um, uh, sort of decisions being uh, announced publicly and stuff, we are able to get um, information beforehand from these uh, groups such as MASA themselves. Uh, but, of course, then we will have to fact-check and verify it like, before we are able to release it. And, you know, you both mentioned a few times that this is the first documentary you're making and you refer to yourself as young filmmakers and you're both young women in in a male-dominated industry talking about quite a controversial issue. Is there advice that you have for our listeners who might be interested in pursuing documentary film to advocate and educate on difficult topics? Um, I would say find your allies. Uh, You can't do this alone. Um, I'm very grateful that I have Joey because um, we're both women and we both understand what it's like dealing with um, just like, you know, mansplainers who come across and just like, oh, do you know that ganja can, you know, like, so um, I'm glad. So Joey is my ally. Um, um, find other allies that can help you. Um, just find as much support as you can because you can't do it alone. Yeah. How about you, Joey? That's very sweet. But yeah, I, I would say to just don't give up. Honestly, you would have to sometimes to beat um, them at the game. You have to be in the game first. So it took me, I guess, this is my second year into filmmaking. And yeah, it has been really challenging. Like sometimes I would think that if I were to be the opposite gender, for example, uh, some of the processes could have been easier. 
or I would have reached um, my goals a, a little faster. But uh, whatever that's on my chest or in between my legs, it does not determine the quality of work that I do. So I always say, you know, let my work do the talking and the rest is just noise. <laughs> okay. Um, and how and where can listeners watch this documentary? Basically, you can access freedomfilm.my for uh, all the screening details uh, about our film, uh, Ayaku Dr. G, as well as the other uh, documentary films that will be premiering this year at uh, Freedom Film My uh, as well. Uh, tickets will go on sale on 1st December. <laughs> okay, so it's going to be a virtual film festival on the 1st of December onwards. Yes, this will be the first ever uh, online festival for Freedom Film Fest as well. So we're excited to catch it online, uh, even though it would be great if we could celebrate it with everyone uh, in the actual festival, but due to COVID, uh, yeah lah. We're hoping to see everyone online this year. And and where can people keep up to date with your film? Uh, you, they can follow us on our social media pages uh, at Ayaku Dr. G uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and also Instagram, uh, where we'll be regu- uh, updating regularly about uh, the film and also the campaign as well. Okay, so you're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Ayaku Dr. G. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, thank you both so much for talking to me. Um, that's all the questions I have for you. It was really illuminating to hear about what it's been like to make this film. Thanks so much. Thank you, Deborah. Our thanks to Joey and Hidaya for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!